This is Dr. Troy Shaw, pastor of the Liberty Hill Baptist Church. Welcome to Living the Bible Together. We would love for you to visit our church located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Good evening. Tonight's Bible study is going to come from Psalm chapter 119, verses 105 through 112. Again, that's Psalm chapter 119, verses 105 through 112. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for another opportunity to be able to connect with you and with each other. Lord, we ask that you open our hearts and minds that we may hear your word, Lord, that we may allow your word to come into our hearts, Lord, and transform us. Lord, we pray against any distractions that may attempt to take our mind and focus away from hearing clearly from you. Lord, we ask that you continue to lead us and guide us in all that we do. And we ask that you give us the strength, the knowledge, and the wisdom, Lord, to move forward in all that you have for us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm of all 150 psalms. Some scholars have often named it the most elaborate psalm of them all. In this psalm, there are 22 eight-verse sections, making it 176 verses in this one psalm. Each of the sections, the eight sections in this psalm, they begin with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if you see in your Bible, there's a a symbol and then a word that's next or that's above each of the uh, sections. I'm sorry, it's 22 sections, not eight. Each section has eight verses. And so the verse that we'll look at today, it has the letter noon. It's spelled N-U-N, but it's pronounced noon, N-O-O-N. And that letter is the 14th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which contains 22 letters. So although the psalmist in this psalm is unknown, there are some scholars that attribute this psalm to David. Um, Some even believe that this psalm was a psalm that David had written uh, to pass down to his son Solomon. But within this psalm, the psalmist is making a series of individual statements about God's law or about God's teachings and instruction for life. In this psalm, the psalmist uses different words to describe God's laws or teaching, such as God's law or his testimonies or instruction, his precepts his statutes or commandments, his ordinances or decrees, his word, his ways or paths, his promises and judgment or rulings. The Psalms focus is on the truly is on a truly happy life. 
A truly happy life, it comes from a life that is deep-rooted in reverence for God and that connects this psalm with other wisdom psalms, such as Psalms 1. So as we look into this psalm, uh, it's evident that the psalmist's perspective or the psalmist's view of God's word is God's word as a way of life rather than God's word as a rule book or a belt. So let's talk about that for a second. When we think about something as a way of life or God's word as a way of life, that means that it is accurately in our hearts. That means that we see it, we perceive it, and we've embraced it for what it was intended for. It's a standard by which we live by. That that standard by which we live by, it determines how we act. That's when people are and aren't looking. That that um, sets the standard for how we treat other people, for how we view other people, for what we deem success to be, for how we become successful. It is the standard by which we base our identity. It's the standard by which we handle our enemies. It's the standard by which we deal with adversity. It's the standard by which we give help and get help. And most importantly... It's how we see who God is and how he operates. And so when we see the word of God as a way of life, it allows us to place it at us. It allows it to be the standard by which we live by. And so when we have that that perspective, then we're able to see things quite differently from people that may see the word of God as a rule book or a belt. So for those that see it as a rule book, That means they see the word of God as a bunch of do's and don'ts. And if we think about it, if we have a bunch of do's and don'ts, you know, we're busy trying to keep up with can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that, that we're unable to make a true connection. Additionally, there are those that may look at God's word as a belt, something that they're pointing out all of the wrongs and they're using the word of God or the scriptures to be condemned rather than convicted. And if we think about a belt, belts are meant to hurt people. And so the scripture, the word of God is not meant to hurt us, but it's meant to help us. And so when we have people that look at it as a belt or a tool in which it was not intended for, and they misuse it, then some people have the perspective that the word of God is meant to hurt us. So how do we how do we get to that place? And what happens? What happens when we have an improper view of God's word? Having an improper view of God's word, that determines if and how we approach it. So let's talk about the if first. If we have an improper view of God's word, we may not approach it at all. It'll be the last thing on our mind. It'll be the thing that we stay away from. It'll be the thing that we don't want to connect with because we're not seeing it in the right perspective. We're not seeing it in the way that it was intended. Or if we do approach it with the wrong perspective, we'll, we'll be looking for the negative. We'll be looking for ways and, and excuses and things for us not to do what it says. Or we'll look for a reason to close it. 
or we'll look for a reason to point out something wrong about God or about how the world is operating. So when our perspective is not correct, then we're unable to approach the word of God correctly. But when we have the proper view, the proper view of God's word, it will cause us to desire to approach the word of God. It will cause us to want to receive the word of God for what it is. So then the question becomes, how do we come up with these different perspectives or these different views of how we see things? The first thing that I wanted to point out is assumptions. Sometimes we come up with assumptions on our own. No one teaches us. We haven't seen it. It's just something that we assume. And so rather than getting clarity, we just hold on to the assumptions that we have. And that assumption gives us a false view of what the word of God is. Other times we come up with uh, different views because of our own circumstances. If we see ourselves in a circumstance in which we shouldn't be in or if we've had an experience in which we feel we shouldn't have had, then we'll look at our circumstances and then we'll look at things from that viewpoint. Other times we look at society. We look at what we see others say and do. We uh, think about uh how we are taught different experiences with others. Others' inaccurate view of the word of God can distort our experience or our view with the word of God. And then we can also have uh, different views from the vessels in which it comes. So if we don't like the person that's delivering the word, then we won't embrace it. And then lastly, we can have a different viewpoint because that's just what we want to believe. There's no specific reason. That's just what we want to do. That's just how we see it. And so a lot of those different reasons are ways that are reasons for how we see things. And if any of those reasons are inaccurate, then it will cause us to look at things improperly. So having the proper view of God's word will help us to understand the need for it on a daily basis. It'll be more than just the words that we can quote or sing, but it will be more than it will be more than it will be more than us just knowing it. But then it'll be us moving toward understanding it. And then lastly, living it. We will hunger and we will thirst after it because it will be what guides our lives. It will be the standard in which we govern ourselves so that we may live pleasing to God, which is ultimately the best life. It will be how we attain success on a day-to-day basis. The blessings and promises of God normally fall under being guided by God. So there will be times where we will find that we aren't being obedient to God or falling under the direction in which God has called us to, but we want to receive the blessings of God. We want to receive the promises of God. But we have to make sure that we are in alignment with what the word is saying so that we are able to receive those things. So let's think for a moment. How many of us know what a parachute is? How many of us know what a parachute is used for? And then lastly, how many of us know how to operate a parachute? So I'm sure for many of us, we wouldn't go jump off of a plane 
without a parachute. We wouldn't go jump off of a plane not knowing how to operate a parachute. In order for us to attempt to successfully complete the jump, we must have access to and have the ability to utilize the parachute in the way that it was intended to be used because that is what will save our lives. Amen. So before we get into this evening psalm, let's look at a couple verses regarding the scriptures. The first verse is 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 through 17, and I'll be reading the New International Version. Again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 through 17. It says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we can see that from this scripture, it tells us that scripture is from God. It's the words in which God gave to us. They are from God's very breath. So it isn't something that was made up, but these words were God inspired to the writers and it was what God wanted for us to have and to know. And so the scripture we see from this verse is to instruct us on the proper way of doing things. Not only that, it's to reprimand us for doing wrong because we know that God chastises those whom he loves. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't chastise us and want to redirect us because that's the purpose of reprimand. It's making us aware and then having us to be able to go and do the right thing. Additionally, it's for showing us what is right when we've gone or done wrong. And then for showing us how to live the, the life, our life, the way that God intended so you say, why? Why did he leave us these scriptures? According to this verse, it says, so that we, servants of God, may be equipped. But it's not just equipped, it says thoroughly equipped, meaning he wanted us to be equipped from top to bottom, rigorously uh, uh, equipped. He wanted us to be thoroughly equipped. He wanted us to be prepared. And not just prepared, but fully prepared for what? For every good work. So that we, so we can see from this verse that this equipping is for our good. So God, he left us something tangible, something visible, something that aligns with the invisible that is within the believer, which is the Holy Spirit, to assist us in our understanding so that we may be equipped for every good work. This verse lets me know that God does not want us to fail. He's not setting us up for failure in this life, but he is attempting to equip us. He wants us to be prepared to be his servant, to reflect him. And when we look at the scripture from this viewpoint, it then will cause us to approach it in a different way. Amen. So the scriptures then, uh, the next scripture that we'll look at is Hebrews 4, 12. And again, I'll be reading the New International Version of Hebrews 4, 12. 
and while you while you guys are going to that verse, I just want to make the point too that scripture speaks to us individually as well as collectively. That's why it's important for us to have our individual study as well as collective. So Hebrews 4:12 it says, "For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword." It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the scriptures, they're not just words in a book, uh, according to this verse. They are alive and moving within our hearts and our mind. They separate the things of God from the things of the world. They will show us when we are heading in the right direction and when we're heading in the wrong direction. It is the only book whose words are able to sync with the Holy Spirit who leads us in all truth. Now, this is important because wrong doesn't always look or feel wrong and right doesn't always look and feel right. Additionally, The word looks past the surface of a thing and searches the heart and motives. So these are not just words that were applicable to the people in Bible times, but they are just as applicable and operational in us today. More than that, they are necessary in each and every one of our lives because as God's servants, we need to be prepared for every good work in which he has called us to. Lastly, the scripture provides us with protection, protection that we cannot receive when we operate outside of them. Amen. So as we can see, scriptures, the scripture, they're important. They're an important part of our lives as Christians. They're an important part, an integral part of our lives as servants of the Lord. And so as we have that thought in our mind, we'll look at this evening's passage and we'll understand and be able to have, um, we'll have a better understanding of where the psalmist was coming from in these verses. Tonight's verses is Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me but I have not astrayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Again, that's Psalm 119 verses 105 through 112 in the New International Version. So as we look at this psalm, we can see that the psalmist is declaring God's word as a lamp for their feet and a light for their path. This was personal to the writer. The writer understood the importance of having this guide. 
If we think about it, the lampstand that was in the tabernacle was to provide light so that the priests could fulfill the duties they were called to, right? It was the only source of light in the holy place. The lampstand had to be tended to continually according to Leviticus chapter 24. So let's get this. The priest had duties to fulfill, correct? Yet they needed the light in order to properly fulfill their duties. We need God's word to properly fulfill our duties. God's word was the light or the guide for the psalmist. In this dark world, we need God's light. The word of God is the everlasting light that will continue to shine and never become dim as we move forward in fulfilling our duties. Because it is God's word, it will shine it will shine on or make known those things that attempt to lead us astray in our day-to-day lives. The word of God, it reveals the righteous and the unrighteous, the pure and the evil, the good and the bad. So the word of God is our light, our God, our revealer, our illuminator. It will illuminate those things in our lives that we need to see. It will show us things that can only be revealed when we are aligned with the Lord. And so the word of God, it is what we need in our lives to be successful, to be able to fully function in where God has called us to. A lot of times we think a calling or something is something that we only do in the church, but the church is called to go. In each of our respective places, we need the word of God to be the light that shines so that we can fulfill the work that he has called us out in this world. The psalmist in this psalm demonstrates and displays how important following the word was. So important that there was an oath that was made, a promise that obedience would take place. There was an understanding that the word was necessary to get through this life. The oath, it was confirmed when an oath is made, the only way for it to be confirmed is by fulfilling it. You see, he confirmed the oath. He confirmed it by fulfilling it. Additionally, we must notice who the oath was made to. Our commitment is to the one who has called us. Oftentimes, we begin to think that our commitment is to people. Our commitment is not to the pastor. Our commitment is not to the deacon. Our commitment is not to the boss. Our commitment is to the Lord. Because wherever the Lord has called us to operate, we ought to operate there because he's the one who called us. And he will be the one to equip us. So oftentimes when things happen in our life, we begin to look at the one who we see as the one that's in charge when God is ultimately who we are surrendered to. So the Lord will provide us with people that will lead us in certain areas. However, our commitment and the way that we operate is based off of God's word. And so when we are attempting to fulfill our calling and be committed, our commitment should be to God regardless of how someone else makes us feel. 
And so we have to understand that our commitment is to the one who has called us. The psalmist was true to the oath made to God. And so regardless of where God is leading you, your oath will always be true to him. So if he is leading you in a direction that you don't want to go, if he is leading you or stretching you in an area where you don't understand because you are committed to the oath that you made to him, you will want to fulfill that task. And so we have to be sure and follow the example of the psalmist and being true to the oath that was made. When we made the oath to submit to God, then that means that, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll go where you want me to go. We can't limit God or place. uh, We can't have a small print section when we make that commitment to God. We can't have a fine print section that's going to say what we are and aren't going to do where we are and aren't going to go. But we make one submission to God. And then each and every day we we fulfill that submission and that oath by doing what he has called us to. And so we must recognize that when we are committed to the Lord, when we are allowing our words to be true to him, then we are willing to do whatever it says, whatever his word says for us to do. And so we have to remain faithful. It's also important for us to recognize that the psalmist, the recognition of suffering in which he speaks of. The psalmist was still in a position of praising and acknowledging being true to God's word and following the oath in which he made to the Lord, although there was some suffering that was taking place. It was much suffering, not just some suffering. But I think it's important for us to take a look at how this suffering didn't cause a reversal of the oath that was made. But this suffering and his commitment to the word, it actually proved him to be true to the oath which was made to God. Right? And so there's times that when we begin to suffer, those are the times when we begin to step away from God or step away from our calling and step away from the people and things in which God has called us to because we are more focused on our suffering than more focused on him. Just as the oath that was made to God was kept, the psalmist knew what the word of God said. So there was a reliance on God to preserve or keep him during and after the suffering. So when we embrace God's word, number one, we'll acknowledge and know that there will be suffering in this world. But then two, we'll know that we are protected and preserved. The psalmist shows us that suffering didn't overturn the promises in God's word. But it actually proved God's word to be true. Knowing and keeping the word, it doesn't keep us from suffering, but it allows us to go through knowing that we'll get through by God's power. Amen. So let's look at Romans 5, 3 through 4 really fast, just so we can see what it says about suffering. And again, I'll be reading the New International Version. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. 
because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So if we think about it for a minute, when we begin to suffer is when we begin to question God, we begin to doubt God, we begin to dismiss God. We make our situations bigger than God. When our suffering, according to Romans 5, develops us. Right? So trusting the word in those moments is how we confirm the oath which we made to the Lord. Not abandoning him or abandoning the word or abandoning our uh, position. But relying on the word and trusting in the word of God in those moments assists us in confirming the oath which we made to the Lord. Amen. So then the, the psalmist further displays humility by asking the Lord to accept his praise. He recognizes the minuteness of his being and the magnificence of God. When we recognize our unworthiness before a worthy God and knowing we are only here because he chose us, that should produce a posture of humility before him that results in an automatic praise. In addition to knowing our minuteness, as the psalmist did, there was a recognition that the psalmist needed help with God's word. There wasn't going to be an automatic download and then there would be automatic obedience. The psalmist needed assistance. If we were able to do it on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need the Holy Spirit, nor the scriptures. We must learn the word and put it into practice. It will become easier and easier the more we put it into practice. But just as the psalmist asked the Lord for help, we have that same capability and ability. We'll also understand that God gives us grace and mercy. So he's not going to be there to beat us down when we mess up. But he'll be there with open arms because we're continually attempting to live each and every day pleasing to him. The psalmist also recognized that he was exposed to danger daily. The psalmist didn't, he didn't hold back on suffering. He didn't hold back on attacks. The psalmist was very vulnerable and open in this psalm. He knew that his life was always in danger. He knew that the wicked was attempting to set him up. Yes, he was not going to leave away from, and he had not swayed from the word, which was his guide, his weapon, his protection, but he was still aware that he was in danger. He was determined to walk in his chosen identity. Recognizing and understand that we too are exposed to danger daily just because we are his servants. Knowing that we are exposed to danger daily, we should want to have that connection with the word of God because that's what's going to protect us. We must know that there is something that is out there that is trying to destroy each and every one of us. It is trying to divide us individually and collectively. 
in the homes, in the church, in the schools, in the nation. It is something out there attempting to destroy what God has created. So I'm going to read the message translation of 1 Peter 5.8. It says, keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. So we see here that we have an enemy, but we also see here that we have a God, a God that cannot be defeated. So the fact that there is an enemy and that we are exposed to danger, that shouldn't scare us. Thinking of that, let's look at, uh, I'll read the message translation of Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. It says, and that about wraps it up. God is strong. And he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best materials. And put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, Prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. So these verses let us know that yes, we have an enemy, but we also have the artillery to defeat that enemy on a day-to-day basis. But we just have to use it. Amen. I love the way the message version translated First uh, Peter as well as Ephesians because it just made it plain and simple. And so when we recognize the strength and the ability that we have through the word of God and through all of his promises and blessings, through who he is and who he has called us to be, then we'll embrace the word of God. We'll embrace the scriptures. We'll recognize it. We'll recognize it for what it's for. And we'll have that desire, that hunger and thirst to want to delve deeper and deeper, to be able to be successful, to be thoroughly equipped for what God has called us to. Amen. So tonight's verses, they end with the psalmist proclaiming God's word as his heritage forever and the joy of his heart.
meaning the word of God was his. It was his inheritance. It was his possession. It was passed down to him. It was something that he acquired from the one who chose to give it to him. He valued what was given to him and showed it by utilizing, believing, and doing it. Not only for the moment, but it states forever. Additionally, it was what brought joy to the heart. It wasn't happiness, which is normally dictated by circumstances, but it was joy. That which can only come from confidence in the Lord, because we'll have it in any given situation. That's good situations, bad situations, knowing that God will take care of us either way. The psalmist's heart was set on keeping the decrees of the Lord until the very end. This wasn't just something he was saying, but he meant it. It was in his heart. It was ingrained. And it was lived. In closing, I want us to think about something for a second. Can any of us think of someone that was able to do whatever they wanted to do as a child? Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be a small child, but teenager, you know, as long as they were a minor child. It seemed as though they had no limitations. At times, it even seemed as though their parents were named the cool parents. I'm sure some of us can relate to some of our children saying or having the desire to say, I wish I was such and such as kid or their mom let them do whatever they want or they can do everything and we can't do anything. All of the other kids wanted the cool parents to be their parents because they wanted to be able to do whatever they wanted. But what they didn't realize is that their friends were silently suffering while walking around as if everything was okay. In my experience, when talking with someone that seemed as though they could do whatever they want, there was a similar complaint made across the board. All they wanted was someone to care. Although it seemed they could do whatever they want, it wasn't because that's what they wanted to do, but that was because that's what they had to do. But the kids that I've spoken to in my experience, they wanted limitations. They wanted someone to give them a curfew, someone to correct them when they were wrong. They wanted to be encouraged when they were right. They wanted someone to empower them, someone to spend time with them, someone to teach them ways to live. They wanted someone to ask for their report cards or how their day was in school. They wanted someone to ask, who they would be hanging around with or who they would be spending time with or leaving with. They wanted someone to ask where they were going. Why? Because they wanted someone to care. They wanted and needed guidance. They wanted to know that they were valued. They wanted to know they were worth protecting. Not only did they want it, but they needed it. And for some, when they didn't get it at home, they went elsewhere and took whatever they could and called it care. They called it guidance. They called it value. They called it protection. 
because that's all they had. Those were the things and people that were showing attention to them or giving them attention and showing them that they had value. But see, we have more. Our parent, he doesn't want us to do whatever we want. God cares about us. He values us. He wants to guide us and he wants to protect us. But the thing about it is we must accept and embrace the guidance given to us. It's available to each and every one of us. God loves us. God cares for us. And God wants us to be thoroughly equipped for every good work in which he has called his servants to fulfill here in this earth. Amen. So thank everyone for tuning in. Next week's lesson will come from Psalm chapter 139, verses 1 through 12. Amen. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. This has been another broadcast of Living the Bible Together with Dr. Troy Shaw from the Liberty Hill Baptist Church located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. God bless you and have a great week.